The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperforth, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead. And joining us on the phone today is Mark Glady, Winfield United Regional Agronomist. Mark, with so many new technologies and products adding complexity to the crop protection process, what baseline best practices should farmers follow to ensure they're getting the most out of every spray investment? So there's a lot of new technologies on the market with dicamba-tolerant soybeans this year. There's a lot of new rules and regulations we really want to be cognizant of. So I always suggest reading a label, understanding a label, or at least some of the basic principles is a good way to start. I know a lot of labels are fine print, written by lawyers, and small font. It can be difficult to understand, but the label really is the law. And just having an understanding at least of some of the restrictions as far as nozzles or spray pressure, any setback restrictions from sensitive areas is always a good idea to have an understanding of. So I always recommend in, in slower times of the year before we get in the field, to skim through labels for the, of the common crop protection products you'll be spraying in a given year and at least familiarize yourself with them. Yeah, Mark, as a regional agronomist, I've heard of people reading labels before, but I've, I've never actually read one. And does that, does that, I usually just call you with those kind of problems. Right. So uh, you know, a lot of basic manufacturing companies or your local agronomist, uh, your retailer, your co-op, there's a lot of experts in those facilities that do spend a lot of time reading labels and can help give you the cliff notes and make you aware uh, at least the high points as far as nozzles, pressure, setbacks, that type of thing. Because labels aren't, you know, I'll be the first to admit, they're not fun to read. I do read a fair amount of them. But I mean, it does take time and you know, decipher through and to get to the bottom of what needs to be done. But it is an important thing to do to make sure at least we understand it. So one of the things on the nozzle reading that's pretty important, uh, they've changed some things like they've added terms like DRT and nozzle selection. Tell me about looking for that specific section on the label. What are some things you pay attention to? First off, what is DRT? And then second of all, how do you go from the nozzle recommendation on the jug to selecting the candy-colored nozzle selection for my sprayer? DRT, the acronym for Drift Reduction Technology, kind of a general term to you know, not only nozzles but also the right adjuvants to help minimize drift. And by drift, we mean off-target movement. And it doesn't just include physical particle drift of the spray droplet itself, but also potential volatilized gas forms of the herbicide or crop protection product we're spraying that could potentially volatilize and move off the target in that sense. So there's a lot of things that go into drift reduction. First, what I think of is the design of the nozzle. A very popular one we've heard a lot about over the last two or three years, and certainly this winter and spring, with the approval of the dicamba technology, is the T-Jet's TTI nozzle, the Turbo T induction. I've been doing spray clinics with growers. I always like to remind them that the TTI is a completely different nozzle than the Turbo T. When farmers hear Turbo T, the one that's been around for several years, that gives you a smaller droplet. The TTI for dicamba is a Turbo T induction, a completely different nozzle that gives you a large or very coarse droplet, which means it's heavier. It's able to produce droplets with more velocity that continue down to the target and the canopy and the ground and not have nearly the high potential to drift away or float away in the wind. So, Mark, I've seen the uh, TTI nozzle on your spray table and watched you run it under water-sensitive paper, and they produce some really big droplets. So obviously that's a great way to reduce drift. How do you reduce drift and maintain herbicide efficacy? 
Now that's a great question. So I'm an agronomist, I'm a technical guy. I understand how and why there's been a lot of emphasis on the Dicamba products, the Extendamax or the Ingenia, to produce large droplets that have a very low potential for off-target movement. But my job as an agronomist is also to make good recommendations to get good weed control. Because after all, the reason we're spraying Dicamba is to kill weeds. And if we do a lot of things that reduce coverage, like really large droplets, that could be a challenge. Maybe not so much for the dicamba herbicide itself, but when we look at other tank mix partners, we can currently put in the spray tank with dicamba, like Select or uh, our volunteer corn killing products. Those types of chemistries like more coverage. They perform better. They can do a better job killing volunteer corn if we can get more spray droplets more evenly covered on the leaf. So from the adjuvant side, there's a lot of talk about another acronym is the DRA, the Drift Reducing Adjuvants, the red box at the top of the Monsanto Extendamax soybean supplemental label or on their website, I should say, as well. And some products will increase the overall VMD or the median diameter size of the spray droplets. But there's other products like Interlock, which a lot of people are familiar with Interlock as reducing drift. And Interlock does a great job taking really, really small droplets, the driftable fines. Yet that does a good job making them more of a medium-sized shape. So from a 100 micron, a very small droplet, it can take that up to a 200 or 300 micron, a medium size. Interlock cannot take an 800 micron droplet like a Turbo T induction nozzle could produce. It can't make a really big droplet even bigger. And that's why we've got some new technology in the DRAs and the red box to help keep the average droplet size really high, but why it's also important to still consider interlock in the spray tank to manage the smaller end of the spectrum. Because even with the TTI nozzle, and even though your average or your VMD droplet size is eight or 900, depending on pressure and exact orifice size, you still have a percent of your droplets that are in the small or the medium or fine range. It's not very many, but there are, with our laser analysis, wind tunnel data generating machine and at our River Falls, Wisconsin experiment station, we can still detect uh, a couple small percents of the droplets that are in that small, very fine category, which still need help being managed to make to a bigger size so they don't potentially drift away. Yeah, Mark, as I heard you talking there, you talked a lot about different droplet sizes matching the right job that you're doing. And I think about going from your post-emergent herbicide where you're trying to kill weeds and soybeans to maybe switching over to fungicide and insecticide. I heard this nasty rumor that those multi-rotor nozzle bodies on the sprayers, did you know that those actually rotate? You can actually turn those and make a different nozzle selection? You mean the three-way or the five-way nozzle selector? Is that what uh, we're forgetting that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, you know that those, well, those things rotate? They do, and they sell those also. If you don't currently have one on your sprayers, they sell them. So it's funny you mention that because after spray clinics, one of the most common questions I'll get from an applicator or a grower is that they'll come up to me and say, hey, that's got a new sprayer, traded, bought a new one, whatever, and I'm going to buy a new set of nozzles for them. I'm going to get one nozzle. What, Mark, what is the best? What is the absolute number one best nozzle? that I'm, So I'm only going to buy one. Which one should I get? And my response to that is, if you, Mr. Farmer, Mr. Applicator, are only going to spray one crop protection product, you tell me what that is, whether it's a herbicide or an insecticide or fungicide. You tell me what product, I will tell you a really good nozzle for that product. The problem is most applicators are spraying products that need really large droplets, like Dicamba, the new Dextendamax, Ingenia, or Roundup does fine with large droplets. A lot of our pre-emergent herbicides use big droplets as long as we're not trying to do burn down with them. 
but you mentioned, Joel, fungicides or insecticides, some herbicides that require coverage of the PPO inhibitors, the contact burners, they need small droplets. So to have one nozzle that gives you really big droplets for a Roundup or Dicamba and another nozzle that gives you really small droplets for a Flexstar herbicide or a fungicide, you can't ask them to do both. Or it's really hard to find one nozzle that does that. So, yes, multiple nozzles uh, on a machine are a great idea. Do best manage your spray droplet size. So you talked a little bit about the equipment outfitting there. One of the things I noticed as uh, the last couple of years is people starting to spray a lot more soybean pre-emerge herbicides. And with that, oftentimes our soybean herbicides for pre-emergence are dry flowables. Can you talk a little bit about sprayer maintenance and the new interesting things that happens for boom cleanout in particular on the dry flowable things? I've seen some what I would call inverted Vs out there as people come off of soybean pre-emergent spraying, switching into their post-emerge corn spraying. You bet. So when I think about tank cleanout and herbicides and which formulations clean out easier than others, I should also say that in my job as a technical agronomist, I also get the opportunity to walk complaint calls. Very few people call me because they want to tell me how great their crop looks, and let's just go look at how good it looks. People usually only call me if something, if their crop is dead, dying, burnt with herbicide, or if they want their money back. So I get the opportunity to see a lot of these tank contamination, boom contamination, carryover issues, whatever you want to call them. You mentioned the pre-emergent herbicide. Uh, a lot of the popular ones are the dry flowable. I think of pre-emerge application time. It's earlier in the spring. Our waters may be cold. The air temperatures are cold. The law of chemistry, such that the warmer temperatures are, the faster reactions generally tend to occur. And my point is, it takes a lot of agitation to get a lot of those dry flowable herbicides to completely dissolve and stay in a lot of agitation to keep them in suspension or in solution. I'm not picking on any herbicide, it's just the way the formulations are. And if you don't get them all the way dissolved, they love to hang up in screens or get caught and cake up in strainers or in the end caps of spray booms is a great place for them to accumulate when I'm on a plane call. I always ask to see uh, the applicator sprayer and ask, can you get the pipe wrench out and take the end cap off? And if they are able to pry the end cap off because of the corrosion or all the junk and the crud and the years of chemical that were never cleaned out, and you see a lump of cottage cheese come dribbling out the end of that spray boom, and that helps answer a lot of questions as far as why they might have potentially had those inverted Vs in fields where there was some boom contamination and we damaged a crop that we were spraying that had herbicide that's not intended for it. Mark, you talk about cottage cheese in a spray tank, and it reminds me of tank mixing. And in particular, some of the more difficult tank mixes to execute are is when you have four or five, six products all going in. One of the things I always kind of joke about is tank mixing is only a problem for the skinniest person in the operation. And Mark, I've seen pictures of you. You're not that thick. Yep, I know. I could squeeze into a spray tank real easily and shovel out if, if, I, if I had to. You're going to be the guy in the bottom of the spray tank <laughs> shoveling out the silly putty and cottage cheese. So, so with that threat in mind, how do you go about having the right tank mixing procedures? Yep, so it starts, again, when it comes back to the topic of reading a label and following the directions, most, if not all, labels will have some comments on how to tank mix with other pesticides or fertilizers, if that's what we're doing. They tell you a generic description of order as far as dry flowables or water-soluble products first. Liquids next, emulsifiable concentrates towards the end or the last. So an order is important. But also, I would say advice that I always give growers that's hard to do, 
when we're busy in the heat of the spray battle. We want to get the sprayer loaded up as fast as possible. A lot of applicators now have tender trucks that have the capability to load a sprayer in a matter of minutes. And if you have four, five, six different ingredients between a water conditioner, a couple different herbicides, a drift management, adjuvant, crop oil, whatever, it's hard to get all those things in before your sprayer is full. And my comment is the longer you can give it to agitate, add chemicals slowly, give it a chance, give each product a chance to dissolve and become mixed, greatly increases your chances of having a successful tank mix without incompatibility issues. So I know it's easier said than done, but taking your time, I always say the solution to pollution is dilution. Make sure you have plenty of water in your tank at least a half a tank full before we start adding in a lot of our chemicals so we know there's enough space in the water for those chemicals to dissolve into. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperforth, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead, and Mark Glady, Winfield United Regional Agronomist. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, MyFarmRadio, and TheDealWithYield.com. Tweet any question you have for the hosts with the hashtag DealWithYield.